Okay, five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about customer relationships today, if that makes any sense, right? Uh, okay, so now um, I saw this tweet yesterday, and I thought it was pretty funny. Timmy Grammy, Timmy, Timmy Gammy Eyes uh, tweeted, what the F is Salesforce? And then he followed up with, upon further investigation, I do not support this business. Okay. And someone else, Michael, tweeted back to him, customer relationships management, customer relations management software. Think support ticket. <laughs> Ticketing. That's, and of course, Salesforce would probably be upset with that uh, epithet. But anyway, then he replied back, I don't think there should be relationships with customers. That's very unethical. <laughs> And then someone else chimed in. It depends on the age gap between the company and the customer. And Mark Sanderlin says, Coca-Cola is going to have a hard time finding someone age appropriate. <laughs> and FYI, Coca-Cola is 130 years old. <laughs> so anyway, on that note, I thought we would talk a little bit about this. Um, last week... There was a tweet from Dave, or there was a post on LinkedIn from David Barr, and he was talking about, you might have missed this, but anyway, he said there was a massive disagreement on, um, he hosts a marketing agency owner's roundtable. And um, he said, we discovered that multiple attendees didn't believe in the value of customer delight. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about a, a customer loyalty loop he tagged me in this because i was one of the people who didn't believe in it <laughs> i mean i believe that yes some customers are delighted but um the book says you know you attract targeted customers by creating a strong brand i'll let that one go having a clear value proposition and effectively communicating unique selling points okay Nothing about a good product. Nothing about customer need, finding a customer need and filling it. Just have a value proposition. Okay. Nothing about keeping your promises. Once a customer is attracted, did they spend any money? Engage with them by providing great customer service, building relationships, and creating personalized experiences. Okay. And again, uh, does anybody have a any data on this? Well, David purports to sort of at the end of this. Delight. Here's the punchline. To create loyal customers, go above and beyond to delight them by exceeding their expectations. Well, doesn't it kind of depend on what their expectations are? And creating emotional connections. And that's kind of what, what Summer Gould was talking about in the last six of her articles about emotions uh, and upping your response rate. Okay, advocate. Then turn customers into advocates as if you can push this into place by giving them a reason to recommend the company to others. You know, and of course, I recommend, you know, I've got two companies that, I, that I'm really high on. One is Mint Mobile because it's really cheap. My wife says it doesn't ever connect it doesn't ring. Her phone doesn't ring. And I say it's her phone, not 
Mint Mobile, but also because they sent me this nifty fake tattoo that says no ragrats, no ragrats, spelled wrong, from Ryan Reynolds, which I think is cool. And sometime in the summer, when I'm not so bundled up, I will actually... I will actually put that on, I think so, because I don't know if I've ever, I don't remember, I remember, uh, you know, something like a tattoo that you got in like the bubblegum container. Okay, while this thinking is central to the marketing world I live in, David says, it turns out not to be shared a shared view among all marketers, which surprised him. Okay, uh, he says that we missed the point. Uh, we said if you have great products, and, you know, keep your promises that a lot of this stuff is superfluous and hard to measure, actually. Uh, he says, well-deployed customer delight program impacts, at the very least, the number of future purchases, so you get higher repeat order. I've never seen a company with much more than a 40% multi-buyer ratio. Mostly it's lower than that. And I'd like to see someone move that by doing this. I would love to see that study. A potential increase in first in, in transaction value, average order size. Also, very difficult to move. The potential, I've seen it moved more by upping your minimum shipping charge at a threshold will move your average order. Uh, changing your product mix will move your average order. I'm not sure what a well-deployed customer delight program even looks like. So, but anyway, the potential for future referred business. Now, this one is true, but the way you, the way I've seen in the real world this actually work out is if you mail them more often, then you will get more pass-along orders. And I have a great case study on that, okay? Which costs far less than the cost of acquiring customers cold. Depends on what you're selling. It really does. And... Uh, it's it's you know there's this universal principle that uh, it's easier to sell something more to someone who's already bought from you than it is to find a new customer. Well, it depends. I've seen it work both ways. Uh, the likelihood those referrals will be high value customers. That I think is true, and I think that's why pass along is a powerful thing. Um, so anyway, it's healthy to disagree about these things. So let's go over here. This is a really interesting article from the Drum by Jenny Midorsky. And Jenny, uh, at the bottom it says well, who Jenny is. Jenny is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Long Dash. No idea what that is. But anyway, it seems like she might be some kind of a customer relationships thing. So our brand, customer relationships, real relationships. And she tapped uh, the Don Ream, the CEO of Culture ID, and former science advisor to Congress, which I think they really could use, <laughs> to understand what a relationship really is. And so Don says, a relationship clinically is a safe and secure connection, <clears throat> one that's defined by consistency and predictability, you know, which is kind of goes along with what I've been talking about. You know, when when my wife was down for a couple of weeks, um, she's fine now. This was years and years ago when my kids were little. I went and did the grocery shopping. And, you know, I was trying to be a good shopper. And so I bought the uh, generic version of chicken noodle soup. I saved one cent on the giant can, family-sized can. 
And my kids were so upset because it did not taste right. I admit it did not taste like Campbell's chicken noodle soup. Not even a smidgen. It violated the predictability. And, you know, I saw an article a couple of days ago about why would someone buy McDonald's in France? McDonald's are in France. I saw, I just saw a, uh, a video last night uh, where they were, where uh, a family was touring Egypt. And sure enough, there was the KFC and there was the McDonald's. But the the question the author asked was, why would anybody, surrounded by French cuisine, why would anybody go to McDonald's? Does the McDonald's, does McDonald's, one of the strongest brands in the world, clearly, you know, I did that commercial with the eyebrow raise. They don't even have to mention McDonald's and everybody in the test panel knew it was a McDonald's commercial just because of one yellow post-it note with an M on it, right? Okay, so one of the strongest brands in the world. Do they ever exceed your expectations? No. <laughs> no, no, no. They did once. I went to McDonald's in Costa Rica and uh and Costa Rica is famous for their cattle and their and their dairy industry. And I got a little one of those little mini cones, which are my one of my favorite items at McDonald's. It's, I don't think it's even ice cream. Um, if you watch the history of McDonald's, that Ray Kroc movie um, <laughs> with Michael Keaton. Anyway, I don't think it's really ice cream, but in Costa Rica it is, and it was so good. Uh, you know. So now I'm an advocate for McDonald's in Costa Rica. But why do you go to Costa? Why do you go to McDonald's? You know, I love Waffle House, but I can't get my family to stop at Waffle House when we're traveling because it could take an hour, an hour and a half. Doesn't do that at McDonald's. We in and out. We know what we're doing. You know, it's all consistency. Okay, so maybe that's a big deal. Is that a relationship? That's the question. Consistency and predictability. Well, according to Don, <clears throat> your limbic system gives you alerts on whether somebody is safe. Okay, are you there for me? Can I count on you? Do you have my back? None of this sounds like any brand relationship I've ever had. <laughs> if the answer is yes, the limbic system would say, get closer to this person. Person. Emphasis on the word person. When asked whether brands can form relationships like these with people... <laughs> Reem explains, I'm not sure that we would find empirically valid data on that. <laughs> there has to be reciprocity. So I talked to my wife this morning and I said, you know, do you, do, do we have a relationship? And she said, yeah. And I said, but I love Land's End. <laughs> I got Land's End, turtleneck Land's End. Please, I made her. She went and got my lands in just to be sure I had it on today. Uh, hey, Dan. I'm an advocate for lands in. Is it because they exceed my my expectations? No. It's because they have a good quality product and I like it and I'm okay with it. It's okay. It matches my value proposition. You know, they're not that expensive and they're reliable and they last really well. And, you know, I like them. I don't have to defend this. They haven't. I mean, I paid my money. They gave me the stuff. So, you know, I'm also they also have come to the round table a few times uh, <clears throat> for the Wisconsin Big Mailers Association. 
<laughs> anyway, so he says uh, there's not reciprocity with brands and uh, with the neural definition, it becomes clear that truly fulfilling relationships are only possible between people, not between a person and the abstract concept of a brand. So should we abandon the idea of building relationships? Not necessarily. Relationships are important when we have a, re- a loneliness epidemic. So what can brands do to, to play in this role? They may not be able to form true relationships. Not able. Which, of course, backs my point. <laughs> Many of my points here. Uh, but we're herd animals. We wake up, all of us wake up every morning and in search of validation. My wife was all excited today because she got a, like 150 likes or something on something she posted. Which is great. She's good at that stuff. I don't get any. <laughs> when you wear a product or connect with a brand. Now, this was an interesting piece that didn't really get well developed here. When you wear a product or connect with a brand, you're seeing, sending a signal to people saying, hey, I'm a part of this group. And we did a little work for America, for Mike uh, Yeager down at, uh, at Mid-America. And he sells Corvette stuff. Mostly real parts for dialing up your Corvette. And I said, you know, I bet for every one Corvette owner, there's probably five or ten Corvette wannabe owners. And maybe we could do a spin-off catalog if I could, with transaction modeling, identify those those people who bought those things. And we talked about it, but we never really, he, he really just wanted to sell the parts, which is fine. Um Imagine if brand leaders focused less on building tenuous, quote-unquote, relationships between brands and people and instead focused on how their brands could be used, could use their connecting power to support, encourage, and enhance relationships between people. And a lot of the McDonald's ads actually have that feel. You know, that latest one that I showed the other day um, with the Post-it Note M, all the people in the business are connecting by going to McDonald's. That's what they're showing. Really excellent commercial. Okay, then he then uh, she mentions Glossier, which is a kind of a makeup company. I looked it up, and uh, it says that they get a lot of user-generated content, which is something that you can you can generate um, from Instagram and from TikTok. I'm not sure that. You know, and maybe it encourages people to buy. Salesforce gets mentioned, and they cultivate relationships with software developers and with um, administrators and business leaders. So their focus is on their business partners more than their customers, perhaps. Okay, and they do these they do these con- they do these uh, conventions. If relationships are really the goal. Brands would be better served by helping to build stronger relationships between people. Okay? Let's talk about brands as instigators, facilitators, enhancers of relationships, but not brands as relationships themselves. And I pretty much, you know, it's pretty close. But part of my argument with this whole mindset of brands as relationships is because... 
rarely can you quantify and rarely can you model with you can't create a variable i called it the i love you variable in my book okay we don't know why somebody's a multi-buyer not oftentimes we don't why some people buy and buy and buy and others don't um, sometimes you can quantify it like with Cabela's we found those people and we found that mainly they were outfitters and that made sense and so we created a new outfitter category and a bunch of variables around that and Cabela's end up mailing out their big thick Bible outfitters Bible which was very very successful uh, I told them it would be more successful than they thought and it turned out to be true um, but then that's why most of the time we focus on what we can rule out people who aren't interested in buying again who don't we don't want to send the dollar to the dollar catalog to anyway I welcome your thoughts like share it to your friends the share button is right next to the like button it's not hard to use you don't even have to make a comment and your friends will know you're smart bye bye